0: Everyone. Last episode, we unpacked how and why George Eliot's Middlemarch has come to be known as one of the great books of British literature through its portrayal of early 19th century provincial life. This episode, however, we ask, What about the women? As one of the most influential female authors of the century, we explore the extent to which Middlemarch contributed to, or condemned, feminism and female suffrage through Eliot's characters and plots. Again, there's more to this than meets the eye. Welcome
1: to Book Buzzer, a literary podcast
2: where we explore the content, context, and
1: contemporary relevance of 17th to 19th century literature. I'm Michelle. I'm Grace. I'm Hannah. Um, So yeah, part two, here we go. Uh, So we're going to start off by talking about marriage plot. Basically, the marriage plot is a very common thing in 1700 novels, 1800 novels, in which you have a young woman who is being pursued by or is pursuing a man, and spoiler alert, they end in a marriage, hence the name. <laughs> Obviously, we did a brief plot summary last time, but middle March is full of marriages. Um, we've got Dorothea and Cosvent, and then Dorothea and Will, you have Fred and Mary, and then you have Lydgate and Rosmond, just to name a few of the main ones. <laughs> so yeah, the interesting thing about Middle March in regards to the marriage plot, is that while most marriage plots, the novel ends with the marriage, we start the novel with the marriage with um, Dorothea and Cosbend, right? Uh, like within the first, what, 50 pages, the two of them are married. So that's interesting in that we're seeing what happens after the marriage. We're not just doing the courtship of how they're wooing each other, how they're quote unquote bettering themselves for each other. We're seeing the aftermath of what marriage is life. I
0: insert this really quick. Of course. Like and in the words of Dr. Irvin, nothing really happens after you get married. It's just <laughs> everything that's great about happens is what happens before during the courtship. <laughs> I love him so but much. But not <laughs> but not it after you get married. I mean, what's interesting, nothing really that? happens. <laughs> And so the funny thing is, is what you said, is so Hannah, funny. is that George Eliot is talking about what happens after, which is why the book is so darn boring. <laughs> it is so boring. Oh.
1: Sorry. All the excitement is out, right? They've got each other.
2: That's so funny. For those of you that don't know, he was our professor in Edinburgh. For those of you that don't know, we love mm. Bob so much. Oh my God, that was
0: so, that, the funniest class ever. Nothing nothing ever really happens after marriage. It's all
2: before <laughs> well, clearly Bob has not read Middlemarch enough. Um, <laughs> I think
1: it's a bit after his time period, to be fair.
2: It is, it is, but it just made me laugh. Anyway, because
0: that's what he said. It was just exactly what you just said, Hannah. That's about so being, funny. You know, it's about the marriage part of being after married, not the courtship of before.
2: But you get a bit of both in this novel, no? Like, you right. get the whole, like, as soon as the characters, obviously, they get Dorothea and Casaubon get married at the beginning, and you see all the shit unfold there, but then there's also marriages at the very end that you don't see anything about apart from in that kind of closure at the end like that that last chapter that just tells you that they lived essentially not so happily ever after so you get a bit of both like I still, that I wish almost that we got a sequel that was not 800 pages as you heard in the last episode I was not thrilled about how long this <laughs> novel was um maybe like a 200 page novel about Dorothea and Will. I, I would have loved that.
0: Right. Well, I guess you could also argue that in the middle of her marriage, well, no, I'm sorry, the second day, whatever it is of her honeymoon, that her courtship with Ladislaw actually begins.
2: Oh, that's true. You, you could
0: argue that. Right.
2: Yeah, you could argue that. Right. That and is They don't
0: true. have
1: one. Mm. They really don't have one. But, I mean, too late at that point. They're stuck with each other, you know? I think what is interesting is that at the beginning of this novel, George Eliot t- is talking about Talking about marriage, and she describes it as being decided according to custom by good looks, vanity, and merely canine affection. So, lovely description of marriage. Why is it a
2: dog and not just animals?
1: <laughs> that's a good question. I don't. I
2: don't know. <laughs> She's got some weird animal metaphors throughout this whole book, though. Like, what's that quote about us that your life is just sucking the udder of life? Like, did you? Oh, did, you did you see that? I, that's awful.
1: Exactly.
2: <laughs> Yeah, there's, like, a, a line about that life is just, like, sucking the udder of knowledge or something. Oh, that's very awful. good. I know, awful, awful image. Anyway, <laughs> carry on. Um, so, yeah, like, straight from the beginning, she is
1: critiquing this whole institution of marriage and how matches are being made. Um, and then that just continues with the ridiculously crappy marriage of Dorothea and Cosima, and, like, they're not happy, either of them. They both had totally different ideas about what this marriage would be. I don't really know what Klaus been wanted other than like a secretary.
2: Totally, yeah. Well, as we said a bit in the last episode, they, both of them had completely unrealistic expectations of marriage. And I'm also thinking again, tying into um, Elliot's own life that we discussed in the last episode, she had a very unconventional life and very unconventional marriages with her two husbands. So it is quite funny that she writes this novel that, arguably are about very conventional marriages that aren't they're not happily ever after as we also discuss it is realism there is no you know no mr darcy but
1: um we're gonna have to have a mr Darcy conversation
2: oh you gotta i I don't know if i'm capable of saying anything nice about mr darcy (laughs) um so but yeah so i think that it's interesting that she she shows us very different types of very normal marriages when her own marriages were so abnormal.
1: I am like this is yes with her real life but I I do resent a bit the like assumption that marriage plots end in a happily ever after marriage because I don't think they do. I mean Grace knows because she's read my dissertation. <laughs> I've read 3 novels and none of them ended in a happy marriage. Like yes it ended in marriage but all three authors were very clear that it was a bittersweet thing and they were essentially settling. Like, yes, they right. loved the man, but also they knew that they were giving up a ridiculous amount okay, of Okay, so
2: then where do you think that this this convention has come from? Or this, yeah, where's where does this assumption so come from? So I'm seriously going to
0: jump in here now, just sort of like from the pattern of marriages and this moving into the 1700s, right? From the 1600s to the 1700s, I'm still sort of working through this a bit, but... Um, so in the 1600s, there was a little bit of um, sort of like a time where people were still, we, they really were trying to figure out what does it, what does this new Church of England thing mean? What is it Protestants? What does that mean? What does it mean to be Catholic? How do we work that out? How do we work that out in marriage? Like, it seems to be this time where things are shifting for women. Uh, women actually do ha- start having some voice and are able to use their voice and they haven't really been um, tamed again yet like it wasn't like it was in the medieval ed- ages it's moved forward because of the religious mm-hmm. shift during the, the 1500s and 1600s with with Elizabeth and her dad King Henry VIII shifting all of that but then in the 1700s of course the industrial revolution happens um, and then people sort of sort of go in one direction or the other so they become very wealthy or they become very poor and it really changes the class structure, but it does invent mm. the middle class. And this is what we did in class, right? There's the 1700s is sort of the formation of the middle class, but then it's so hard because then women who are, they don't want to be down in the, they don't want to be of the poor class, um, but they can't, they have to sort of adhere to these rules of propriety, which Hannah, you can talk more about, right? They have to follow these rules yeah. of Propri—well, I mean, that's what you did, right? These rules of propriety that they have to follow, and so really, their way to move up in society um, is to marry sort of this eligible lord. And there's all these women sort of competing really for that guy. And and what is it that he—sorry, do you know what you've just made me think of? Every novel you've ever read in the 1800s,
2: (laughs) (laughs) except for written
0: by George Eliot. Well, you're
2: not—you're not wrong. Um, but that scene in the Little Women movie where Amy is talking to, right clearly I'm just obsessed with Timothy Chalamet, but anyway, when she's talking to, to Teddy and she's like, and obviously it's not in the book and she's like, um, I have to marry rich. I have to, the only way that I can provide for my family is if I marry someone wealthy and even that is an unhappy marriage in itself. So I'm still, it's crazy. It's a crazy time period. So are you saying that the the emphasis on propriety and having to marry for wealth is what made or what created this advocacy for the marriage plot with the happy marriage ending? Like where, where do they come together? Okay, so let's back up a little bit into
0: like the late 1700s, right? So in the 1700s, all kinds of women, I think that the last count when I read and researched was over like 800 different female authors were writing in the 1700s although we don't study any of them in school i can no. tell you that in secondary no, right. school i don't know about unless you pursue it at the university you don't or you do but if, no. like in, in a secondary school we do not even discuss that 800 yeah. women were publishing in the 1700s and they were publishing all different kinds of things you know they were publishing um, sort of very un uh, conventional behavior, they were sort of um, looking at, you know, just different ways that women were real, maybe in a little bit of a way. And then there were other things as well. But toward the end of the 1700s, sort of there was like this shift of, um, and I, I don't know what to call it, because I didn't um, write something down for, the, for the talking about this particular thing. But um, <laughs> anyway, they, there was sort of this shift, and that even women were sort of looking at well, we actually, um, things are kind of a bit crazy right now and, and we aren't really, our society isn't as structured as it was before. So even women were sort of going against, um, sort of the wildness of just, you know, some of the writing that was going on. And of course the men as well, the men were like, no, 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 this, this can't be the way we have to sort of like sort of start putting some rules in place again and regulating things. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, This is what happened to Mary Wollstonecraft, who was writing, um, of course, prior to Mary Shelley, who's writing Frankenstein at the same time as Jane Austen. But these all factor in because then later on, George Eliot is writing in response, really, I think, to Mary Wollstonecraft. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Mary Wollstonecraft is like, look, why are we all trying women? She's looking at other women and sort of shaking a finger at them and saying, why are we always trying to marry this one coveted lord in the community when look at all these other men who might be really great people who are out here and why do we even need to be looking at the men in the first place if you just educate yourself and aren't we still doing that (laughs) we are still doing that which is why it's so crazy because she was writing that in like you know 17 um 89 something like in that time period 1792 something like that anyway so why are we doing that she said what we really need to be doing as women is educating ourselves um, and we need to have, a, like, maybe be educated in a trade and be educated if you're able to self-educate so that you have both so that you don't have to think about, oh, my gosh, I have to marry to support my family. Just mm-hmm. do it on your own. Right. Totally agree. You don't have to, you don't have to marry. no. Well, George Eliot is looking back on that because Mary Wollstonecraft is sort of shaking a finger at women who are now trying yeah, to be... Yeah, but George
2: Eliot got the education. George Eliot got the education, but only because she wasn't deemed pretty enough to marry. Like, right. There's such a hypocrisy in that anyway that, that yeah, she she's very privileged and lucky that she was a woman that was in a position to be critiquing the women that came before her. But she was only in that position because men ascribed... Um, you know, physical standards and values onto her that are completely and utterly ridiculous. And I think Wollstonecraft is saying before, 100 years prior, she's like, why do we even,
0: why as women are we even worrying about that anyway? Let's just get educated, figure out how to do it on our own. And then if we choose to have a man, we choose to have a man. And if we don't, we don't. But the other part of that was that, um, of course, it's better to she's also I, I don't want to be slighting her saying she's also saying that if you're going to have a, a family, you want to make sure that you can educate your children. She's sort of wagging her finger at women who like have other people uh, raise their children and whatnot. But anyway, so then there's this thin shift of time where then we have the marriage novels, right, where people are getting mm-hmm. married and they're always trying to pursue this particular man who's got the money and not only just to support herself but her whole family because if she has a a family full of women like she like the one who's going to get the money is the one who's actually going to end up supporting the other females in her family in case they don't get Mm -hmm. married right in case it's amy in case they don't get married or uh, i'm sorry amy and uh, little women like she's sort of thinking um in in america thinking of the same thing so george Eliot, who's Mm -hmm. writing at the end Um, she's in, in her thing, silly novels written by silly female novelists. She's again, wagging a finger going, why are you doing this? You're not really looking at the bigger picture of what you could be doing as females. And in that, looking at the other men who might be available, you don't always have to go for the Lord that has the money. You're not going to live happily ever after anyway, because the Lord with the money is probably going to end up sleeping with half of the town anyway.
1: I don't know. I still struggle with that though. Hey, because like... Frances Burney's publishing in, before Mary Wollstonecraft in the 1700s and her novel, like she, in Cecilia, her second novel, she's got a very rich protagonist. Like she's got a ridiculous amount of money but she still marries. So I think it's just more than the money that has to be considered in marriage, right? Because even if women are educated and they have educated themselves in a position where they don't need men, like they still need men because society is not in a place yet where they can do anything without that does that make sense right Cecilia still has to give up her fortune yeah Cecilia has to give up her I agree
2: I think yeah it's definitely multifaceted there. even if they have money it gives them a
0: place in society like they still have to have the man to have a place in society and use their money
1: regardless of the money like Cecilia I know this is a different novel but whatever Cecilia gives (laughs) up her fortune to marry To get the position in society as a married woman. Oh.
2: You
1: know, like, she has the money and gives it up.
2: Yeah, I I think it's definitely a multifaceted issue. It's not just the money that makes them marry, although that is a huge part. But even then, Elliot... Oh, 100%. Like, 100 years after Bernie, Elliot's Elliot's doing kind of the same thing with a woman that gives up her wealth to marry, but instead is stepping down the social ladder, which is Dorothea with Will. She's losing her, her... her position in the aristocratic gentry of Britain to marry someone for love, right? And even though she didn't marry Casabon in the first place for the money, it was never something that she thought about. She still is is almost similar to Cecilia in that way.
1: Yeah, she's marrying because she. There's literally a line in that book where she's like, she wants a father figure out of this marriage.
2: Oh, daddy issues. Ooh. Yeah. Problematic. Oh,
1: Yes, because she wants someone to teach her. She wants someone to guide her, which, hello, conduct book. But,
2: (laughs) hello, conduct book.
1: (laughs) Like, that's what she hopes to get out of this marriage, right? Is someone to help educate her and help utilize her and make her personal. Oh,
0: shame. Okay, so back to Dorothea. Don't, I mean, everything that we just said, she's actually showing us both of those sides. She didn't just marry for money, she married because initially she chose to marry. Kasabian. She thought he was like he was smart, and she was going to get educated, and she was going to improve her own knowledge and have sort of her own freedom in that. And then I think like I I, like two or three pages after they get married, and she's sad, and she's like, oh, I thought you like her uh, expectations were that he was actually going to be loving and kind mm-hmm. and, 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 and emotional with her and then he's not at
2: all right and she's like oh, all he crap. wanted was a little honey on the side he just wanted a little honey to be there when he got home and a secretary. a secretary yeah. and a secretary yeah. he wanted a I agree. secretary a helpmeet
0: he says helpmeet in there he wanted a helpmeet which of course is a very religious um connotation back to adam and eve mm. right Eve was made to be a helpmeet oh. for adam right So that's a really religious connotation. Um, Well, it was because she calls her a helpmate. Um, And so that's exactly what that's going back to is sort of that expectation and religion of what that looks Mm -hmm. like. But then when she gives up, I thought it was so cool cool that she did give up her fortune to marry for love. Because what... What is she, she's saying that, yeah, okay, maybe when you have a fortune, it looks on the outside, which is exactly what George Eliot says in silly novels written by silly female novelists, right? Like you, it looks like the beautiful life might be that you end up marrying and have this fortune. But really, after you get married, and you have the fortune, it's you alone in the house while the man is off doing what it is that he wants to do. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing really very glamorous about that. It's, right. Like, So it, right. it's not worth the cash to, to have that.
1: Well, even her marriage with Will at the end is not glamorous. Like, it's not like, oh, she finally married for love. It's still like, well, she gave up her position. And so, like, people aren't happy about
2: it, but she yeah. did it anyway. No, I agree. But I have a question then about George Eliot herself, because you know, obviously your own personal experiences massively play into your writing, which we've already discussed with her, comments on religion and class systems and whatever. But she was part of the middle class, I would say, the rising middle class at that time when she was born. and did, she didn't marry until she was in her 30s, which is also very uncommon for women at that time. Like she looked after her dad until she was in her early 30s and she moved over to Switzerland for a year or so. It was Switzerland or Sweden? I, I don't know. Oh. Sorry. Mm, okay, sorry. Ooh. Anyway, she moved to one of those um for a year and then moved to London and started working for the Westminster Review and only after that did she marry. So she's already supporting herself, she's already working full time, but I think she is what people would have called a spinster, you know, like a woman in their 30s still single was very unusual. So then I wonder, her first marriage, did she, because then for the second marriage, the the whole point of her burial and how scandalous the second marriage was, was because she was then part of the upper class, so did she become part of the upper class on her own? Or did her marriage, her first marriage, give her the financial stability to be part of the oh, upper class? Does that
0: make sense? Yes. I don't know, but I do remember that when she was in her love life, like because of the choices that she made in marriage and in her relationships were unconventional, she kind of had to step outside of society anyway. Like they, people were... I, I feel like th- that it was like a she felt like she was um and when I read like she was very judged by by what she had done yeah I mean of course and so yeah. she kind of stepped away from all of that right but she stepped
2: away from all of that so for her society wasn't she didn't really care to be in society oh she didn't give a shit and I think that she's great because of that she did not give a fly matter of fact what people thought about her and I and I'm love that about her I think it's the greatest part of who she is yeah yes but she was also raised in a way that she if she she had to find her brain and she had she had to do what Wollstonecraft had advised people to do she had to educate herself because she wasn't given anything else and she'd been told since the day that she was five years old that she was too unattractive to achieve anything else anyway which is horrific but it's it's horrific Okay. But think, isn't that reality
0: though? I mean, I I hate to jump towards this, but don't you think like you could say that about today? Oh,
2: easily. You could easily say that about today. Not to the same extent. I think most women are, are, everyone knows the value. A lot of people, well, um, I'm making an assumption. A lot of people know the value in education. And I would hope that, that education is taking higher precedence over looks, but you're absolutely right. I mean, there's still examples now where they say people that are conventionally attractive earn more money and things like that. It's, a lot of the things that that Elliot experienced and Wollstonecraft was talking about, we're still unpacking today. We're still trying to move right. past those. Well,
0: I seriously, I had a, um, a a person that I worked with, a colleague who um has a, a beautiful child, a beautiful female child, right? And um, no kidding, words that this is a you know a literary a person who teaches literature said oh well thank god she'll be able to make her money by her face oh goodness. i was like i was like oh, what? Oh. i mean i just think that's like that's still i mean at
1: least she acknowledges still... it
0: oh my god oh it's awful i think i just say that about your child who's two or three i just thought oh, oh my goodness my
2: also everyone was attractive when they're two or three or cute with a button <laughs> it's only when you grow into your nose and your ears that things start to you know get a little bit uh, your scary. nose and ears. But um, <laughs> um, but, Dorothea is also then interesting in that fact because she's described as like an, a perfect all-round woman. Like she's relatively attractive, she's intelligent, she's very passionate, she's um, she's uh-huh. got her own goals, her own intentions. She's independent, so she's I think she's like a very progressive woman, especially when you compare her to the likes of Rosamond, who is the the male ideal of a woman she's she can sing she can play piano but she looks in the mirror all the time and she seeks male validation whenever it's available to her so when you contrast those two I would say that Elliot is probably seeing more of herself in Dorothea than she would be in the other female characters agreed but
0: I also think Dorothea is a little bit romantic and that she's her expectations of marriage are that she's going to be a
1: treasured wife. Yeah. So she's incredibly naive. Yeah, incredibly oh, naive. Oh
0: yeah. Shame, honey. Yeah. And um and then she finds out on day two that um, you know, she's gonna have to entertain herself with tour guides. I mean, like she's not it's it's she's always gonna have to find her entertainment outside of marriage.
2: And also then no no wonder she was pushed into the arms of lovely Will because her husband was so and it was just, just dis, dis- oh, he was just disinterested. He just ignored
1: her. He just
2: ignored her. Yeah.
1: First of all, they're in this beautiful museum in
2: Rome, looking oh, at my fantastic
1: ideal. artwork, and she's like, "I don't understand anything," and he's like, "You understand everything. <laughs> You're perfect. We love you." I'm gonna you. put
2: this out here now. I don't know who listens to this. If you wanna win my heart. Take me around an art gallery and pretend like you know what you're talking oh, right? about. Right. Oh, 100%. Perfect. 100%. Just let me be Dorothea
0: it, in that but, situation. It, but look at the three of us who are romantics. That is the romantic <laughs> side of Dorothea. Yes. She's <laughs> looking for that, going, we have to we have to remind ourselves, that yes, it, right? This is we true. are romantic <laughs> women. So we have to like she's looking for that, but she also knows the balance, which I would say is true um in, in modern women, right? You understand the balance also of like, and the reality is that the man is probably not going to be doting on you the no. whole time and treating you this particular way. She gets there by yeah. the end. I know, but, that, but yeah. it's, that's sort of the sad, that to me is the sad part of the whole novel, uh, Middlemarch. And that's what George Eliot is saying, is like at some point as a female, you have to sort of realize that mm, your life isn't going to be a romantic sort of yeah time period that you're with this man it's actually going to be more about the mundaneness
2: of everyday life or actually more about who you become in your own development in that that should I think what she's trying to say is that should be your priority like the marriage plot in this novel that's how you're going to combat it yeah like the marriage plots in this novel don't end up with the the dream happily ever after but they do end up in situations where the characters have to grow and learn from each other and especially Rosamond and Lydgate they are constantly butting heads but but end up in a situation that is hard but it seems like they've become better off for it like they're better people for it so actually it's it's a lot of like personal development which is a very good message
1: yeah like within the marriage through the marriage yeah
2: so what do you guys yeah. think about that
0: like if we transition it to modern day like at that time period of course when you got married you stayed married right yes. there's no like, so they, they don't have a choice but to work through it. You know, they've got to either also true. be like drawn away from each other or their stay in that marriage. And it shows sort of how you work through something like that.
2: Yeah, because let's be honest, if you were Rosamond and your husband Lydgate had lost all of your money, you would leave him in a hot second. <laughs> Well, maybe, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> but... If you gambled away all your money, I'd be like, okay, sorry, bye. <laughs> I'm out of here.
0: Out, out, you're out, you're out. <laughs> um, but it, typically in the books that we read, it's really the Lord who's doing the leaving. The woman is sort of there. She has to stay there regardless, yeah. right? Um, and the Lord is the one leaving and so just doing whatever he wants around town with whomever he wishes to do it with. But anyway, so today... Um, sort of like George Eliot's novels, maybe like her her feminist sort of reaction to that. Like, this is how you plung, you know, plunge through the whole yeah. sort of hard part of marriage. That's how you get through it. And then today, it gives us room to say, you're an idiot, I'm leaving you.
2: <laughs> Where yeah. they couldn't say that before. I get what you're saying. But also, another thought that I've had while we're talking, which is slightly off topic, is that She's she's really showing a very progressive and multi-dimensional view of marriage. As we've said, there's loads of different and it is it is quite hopeful in the sense that you have to work through it and you will grow and be better off for it, even though it might not be easy, but it's also very damaging in terms of the happily ever after marriage. And a lot of that comes down to her representation of the women in the novel and the different characteristics that they have that they how the, how they deal with the problems in their marriage and how they work through them and it kind of irritates me then that someone that writes women so well and i think she does she writes she knows women she writes women very well is someone that never actively supported women's suffrage and women getting the vote in the uk and it it irritates me that she's she's so progressive in her writing and she's she's she is carrying on the mantle of from Wollstonecraft all the way through and and Mill and all these other feminist writers all the way through that century but then she never speaks out about about whether women should get the vote and it, it irritates me like she said she I don't know if it was that she she spoke it or she wrote it in 1869 she said there is no subject on which i am more inclined to hold my peace and learn than on the women question like that irritates me. Why can't she if she if she supports women so much and she wants to write about how women can be strong and independent but also succeed in their marriages if they work hard, whatever, why can't she just support women getting the vote? I don't get it. This is confuses me. You know, I don't know maybe
0: it was I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to I don't know the answer to that.
2: Maybe she was it no. was
0: wait. it was still really too progressive for her. Maybe she had done her parts. I mean, really, she to invent realism as a genre and literature is a pretty big contribution,
2: (laughs) you know? I mean, think about, like, the reality shows. She did, she obviously contributed massively. um, But, I mean, think of that, maybe that was her piece, and that's where she concentrated
0: her efforts. So everything kind of beyond that Mm -hmm. is, like, she was like, that's just too much that somebody else's baton to carry. You know, I, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, most women were reading novels, right? So if they are seeing the representation of, this type of women and this type of relationship in the novels they're reading, I think that's that is doing some kind of change, right? To the people who sure, are reading. Yeah. Them. Huge. But Huge. however, I do wish that she would have written something. Like, she was editor of the Westminster Review, for goodness sake. Like, why didn't she write anything to be she's like, she's a feminist icon. Yeah. She
2: didn't actively, vocally support feminism, not the feminism that we know it now, but you know, these early right. versions of feminist lit and thought she it it blows my mind that is someone that is the feminist icon alongside austin the brontes you know like she's yeah she's but yet she doesn't she never says that she supports it i just find it so like contradictory she also critiques them Right. So she also critiques them. Yeah. I know. I have problems with that, but it's fine. So, you know, like what where's where's her boundary? I and I guess that goes back to when she was in the Westminster review and people said that her writing was was educated but not opinionated. Right. So maybe she's she's always used her books obviously to comment on things as we discussed last time the Liberal Reform Bill, socialism, um things like that, the American Revolution, whether or not she's believed in the monarchy you know she's always used her literature to discuss that kind of stuff and I know that she's doing the same thing with her books and with feminism and women's suffrage but it just this is the one thing that I wish that she'd yeah. spoken about I wish that we had a direct answer to how she felt about that movement because she was also I do wonder her- if maybe yeah go on no, go. No, I was going to say she was also in situations where she had been socializing with women that were leaders of the women's suffrage movement. So she wasn't ignorant of it. She she was friends with people that supported it. But as someone that had such an important social standing and the same way I think we think about celebrity culture now, like it's it's validating to have a celebrity that you like, believe in the same things that you believe in. And so for her, I think it would have been incredibly validating for the women's movement and supportive of the women's move- movement. For someone that has been such a, a strong female in a very masculine environment, to actively vocalize as a
1: masculine pseudonym, right? Right.
2: Okay. Maybe I'm going to draw this back to
0: something else too, but maybe it's a bit like she already feels like she's under the microscope a little bit, and so she'd like to just kind of remain. Um, not ambiguous, but well, no, ambiguous. She just doesn't want, she yeah, maybe just doesn't want anybody to know what she really thinks about it. Sort of like, you know, uh, so just or really like really what
2: she thinks about anything,
0: <laughs> uh, right? But so if you if you yeah. go back to Mary Shelley, right, like so her mother's very opinionated, but Mary Shelley sort of she presents her opinions sort of in a. You, you know, you can't really see where she stands sort of way. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe it's sort of, and I think Jane Austen, when she's writing, Hannah, I don't know what you think about this, but Jane Austen, after reading Wollstonecraft, I didn't realize that Jane Austen is writing, Um, in a sarcastic way almost all the time, right? I mean, she's constantly, but you don't know that unless you read what comes before. So I think that um, George Eliot, maybe she was already so in response to the things that had been written before her. And she was going against women in so many ways Mm -hmm. because she was critiquing um, Austin and the Bronte sisters as well as being included in sort of the feminist part of that. But she's critiquing them. Maybe she felt like her voice was already she had already spoken in that way and it was just too much like she didn't want to add more I don't know
2: yeah but the ambiguity of that led it's been quite problematic in the way that people have viewed her work like Virginia Woolf um, spoke a lot about Elliot's work and about Middlemarch specifically and said that she was annoyed that in the contest between Um, the heroine's aims and society's demands society always won and the women and maybe that is I don't think it necessarily is that the women got married but that they gave up on their own ambitions in those marriages which realistically they did they lost this kind of social utopianism that they were supporting at the beginning of the novel Um, and a lot of critics continuously throughout the centuries have said you know, she, um, Elliot's fantastic at showing different women, um, different female perspectives, the variation of women that can be successful, blah 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 blah. But there's always this like undercurrent of dissatisfaction in in her her presentation of women. It just seems like everyone's quite displeased with the way that the women, the way that their plots develop, even though the novel is meant to be satirical to a certain extent. It's just like a constant tug of war between, oh yeah, these women are really great, but also it's really annoying that this is how they ended up in the marriage plots
1: you know? Well, maybe this is why it's considered the greatest English novel, right? is like all of this time later, we're still discussing like, w- what is it that she was actually trying to
2: communicate, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. Well, I mean, yeah, because for me when
0: I read it, I mean, I just think, and Adam Bede, right? And that one in particular, I mean, you know, people fall in love. They do. Sometimes they fall in love with the right people. Sometimes they fall in love with the wrong people. Sometimes they get married and fall in love with somebody else. Sometimes they have to deal. I mean, women really have to deal with crap. I mean, that's like what she's representing. They really (laughs) did. And And at that, at that, at that particular time, that they really were having to give up their, they had this idea that they wanted to change things and that life was going to be this particular way and they were going to be able to control that. But then they really couldn't like in the Victorian era, they, they couldn't do that. Um, They had to sort of, they had all these rules that they had to go by. um, And then, I don't know, Maybe that sounds kind of defeatist at the end where she's sort of just like, I just don't, you know, I don't want to participate in that. I've done what I'm going to do. And, that's all I'm going to say. But then it paves way for somebody like Virginia Woolf to look back and go, why didn't she continue carrying this? Well, right. then Virginia Woolf did, right? Then Virginia Woolf moved us into that whole thing.
2: Well, actually, what you've highlighted, Michelle, is like, it's literally just like a 150 year span of a woman writing something and okay. then the next woman commenting on that and changing it and shaping right. it and, and all of them constant. just replying to one another through their books and through their novels and their fiction as well. So yeah maybe she's just a moment in time in the developing right. ethos of For sure. of female empowerment basically. I would say
0: that because if we look back on sort of this whole time period of women's voices sort of like really trying to find some place to be heard, she's somebody who actually does give them a lot of time, the, the women's voices oh, a yeah. lot of time to be heard. So it's just sort of this progression of well, why did they do it this way? Why did they do it this way? Why did they do it this way? But it's so great that there is sort of that conversation that always threads mm-hmm. through, like always going back and then us improving on that the next time. That's us improving on that the next time.
1: Um, And it
0: just takes I think the great thing about that good and bad is that it makes women actually learn to connect with each other through the ages when they didn't realize maybe that was going on instead of being enemies or being each other's advocates.
2: Yeah. And then well, um, I mean, just as I said in the last episode about about the whole conversation between dorothea and rosamond i was uh, like how am i connecting yeah. with this yeah. so intimately right
0: that's amazing all really this
2: long time after that that's that's such a progressive feminist thought that we're still trying to deal with about women supporting women and not victim shaming and things like that you know that it's just incredible that we can still find those messages right. from all the way back then
0: I don't think unless we go back and connect the whole thread all the way through, cause it took so long and such diligence for women to sort of do that. I don't think we realize that now we're at a time where, I mean, we can, I mean, it is a time where we can actually reach out to other women rather than deal with the, the shaming parts of things or to deal with like, why aren't you doing life this way? Who are you marrying? Mm. Whatever, just to be in support of whatever it is that they're choosing. Um, so we're living at this really great time.
2: Yeah, there was also a part in the novel and when I read criticism that um, the characters in the novel keep pitting Rosamond and Mary against each other. And and also the way that those two very different characters are dealing with it. Mary's quite calm and reserved and doesn't like yeah. rise to Rosamond's like vanity or preening or like searching for validation. And. And they're, they're very different women, but they are in almost read to be in competition with one another, which is also, again, Elliot contradicting something that she's also enforcing. She's just playing both sides of the field, I think, the whole time. She's just but she's trying also to... showing
0: the reality, too. Yes. I mean, women well, exactly. are in competition, yeah. right? They yeah. have been in competition for so long, thinking of the novels that were written prior to her writing. Seriously, there's just this one man or maybe two men and ev- all the women in the entire... Village are trying to get that one man. Why? Why are we doing that? Like that's so ridiculous. There's not that
2: many eligible bachelors then and now. (laughs) But perhaps there's (laughs) perhaps there's a lot
0: of Adam beads and we just don't. I
1: mean, five thousand a year, absolutely not. But I think Hmm. maybe she
0: is. (laughs) I think I think maybe she really is saying, but she is saying what you just said. Grace is where she's playing both sides of the fence. Like there's this, we want to be each other's advocates, but then we also have to realize that. The reality is that women are also competing. How is it that we can sort of move through that and get to the next phase, which we don't get to until
2: um, mm-hmm. maybe after her death? You know, we don't actually for another hundred years after that. Well, yeah, that's what I'm thinking is who's is is Virginia Woolf, the writer after her that carries on that conversation? Like who I would comes say after yes. her? I, this is awful. But I I think I've read like one thing from Virginia Woolf. I'm really rusty i need to read a bit more we should read a virginia
1: wolf she's a bit out of our time period but yeah but she's credited
2: with sort of
0: beginning the whole the first wave of 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 feminism like the whole Mm -hmm.
2: you know that's where she actually where it's actually labeled right so So the
1: lighthouse is actually quite good too so we could read that one but yeah yeah.
2: maybe we should because you know Elliot's obviously on that cusp and i think we also at some point need to go back and do earlier lit we need to read bernie we need to read we are going yes. to read austin obviously um love to
1: do Anne radcliffe
2: me too yes yes also, me too. so we we will go back and read women earlier but elliot i think is when you think of female writers she's she's next to austin for me she's the like the first person that comes to mind it's so
1: interesting as she's published under a male name like it blows my mind it really does
2: yeah you know? that's true but i never for some reason george elliot in my head was always a a female name does that like maybe i just always knew that she was a woman maybe george can be a name for anyone george can be whatever you want yes it i quite like george as a unisex name what are gender norms Yeah, I, I know yeah totally yeah <laughs> but think
0: if you say her name fast because elliot is the you know it starts with a vowel so it could almost be georgia yeah <laughs> it could but- Georgia Elliott. <laughs>
1: uh, that whole re- reclaim her name campaign that I sent you guys. Oh my goodness.
2: Right. So I was going to talk to you about this. So the the book I read of Middlemarch was from the reclaim her name campaign. Oh, that's a mouthful. Which was from Bailey's liquor. Weird. Odd. Hannah found it. Hannah sent it to us. You can't get them anymore because there was a bit of a scandal. Yes. But basically what the what the campaign did, for those of you that don't know, is that they took novels written by women that have historically been published under male names and they put the actual names of the authors on the novel so middlemarch had marianne Evans on marianne evans sorry on the cover um and i i obviously free pdf loved reading it through that and and really fully supported the the idea of the campaign but I was a bit disappointed that I couldn't hold all 880 pages like I I wanted to hold that and look at that as like an accomplishment so I think I need to buy the book anyway just so that I can say that I've read all that huge bloody well I will stopper of a book yeah
1: yeah There was a lot of controversy around that yes because a lot of people were feeling like it took her power away from her because she chose to write under a male pseudonym like as we discussed I think last episode like women writers were being published with their Mm -hmm. actual names and were being successful also what I read was this one article I read was the name that they chose to publish it under is like her first name so it's a very juvenile name so it's like so not her
2: marriage name right linking Middlemarch Mm -hmm. to like her as a child almost which she wasn't she was in her 50s when she right. was writing
0: it yeah, which which I'm yeah. such a fan of yeah I'm so excited by do you know what I love that is that quote and Grace I think you put it on the um, um on Instagram but I love that quote where she says um it's never too late to be what you might have been yes right yeah and um and that, that she was writing at 50 writing these particular books but let me can I ask a question about that like if you if you didn't know George Eliot was a female, because loads of people don't, mm-hmm. yeah, right? The I know. loads of people would yeah. look at that and no, think it was a man. Like, how does that change
2: your view? I mean, George Eliot is a very strong name. A view of the novel itself, of the characters, or view of, view of like- no, like of like if you look at the if you just look at a novel
0: and it has the name uh, George mm-hmm. Eliot compared to her real name which regardless of which one she's using right the married name or not Mm -hmm. like um how is it do you do you view that differently would you view that if you didn't read the book you're like you're reading just looking at it from a an initial response
1: i don't know if i would i think i would expect something different but i don't know if the end result would be different
2: yeah well see you guys are very much more involved in like female writers than i am like my research has always been more towards colonial writings and anglophone lit and stuff like that so which unfortunately is predominantly men and that's also something i want to look into what female writers were living in the various british colonies or you know from indigenous voices at that time in again the various colonies of the british empire so my reading unfortunately has been dominated by male authors so it's it's honestly not something that i think i notice as much which is awful but i it's it's not the first thing i notice when i look at reading a new book i'm just so used to reading male right authors perspect male perspectives that i i don't think it would have changed my initial reaction to the book what would have changed is once i'd read it and connected so much with the female characters and saw so much of myself and my relationships with my friends and women in my life in the female characters that would have made me massively question the gender of the writer right because I just don't think that a man can understand women and their relationships and their feelings as much as as Elliot did and how well she portrayed that in Middlemarch yeah so do
0: you think that people who read the book from an outside perspective, if they're reading it thinking George Eliot is a man and then they read it, mm. they at the
2: end you go, a man could not have written that book. I think so. I don't. I, I think so. I really do. Yeah. Can I do a quick tangent that's related? Yeah, go. I just
1: recently have spoken to um, my friend's fiance. We did like a little Skype call and I was chatting with them and he read Frankenstein for the first oh, time. Okay. And the first thing he said to me was like, I don't understand how anybody bought that this was written by a man. Really? And I was like, that's super that's interesting. interesting. Yeah, he was like, the emotional depth of the monster. How how did anybody oh, love him. suspect right. that it was a man? Yes. And I was like, I'm so glad you're marrying my friend.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, right. That's so interesting.
0: But yeah, I think it's very similar. But that's why you have to have both perspectives, right? Because a man would write this story differently. Like, it's important that we're looking at both men and women, female, male and female views of something, because a man would look at something entirely different from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. It would be interesting to have... I mean, sometimes I would, you know, like the he said, she said, I I so wish that we had sort of two views Mm -hmm. of what would, what does Middlemarch look
2: like from a male perspective? Is it when you read it, there's no way it could have been a male. No, I agree. But do you think that Middlemarch was so successful because of the ambiguity of the writer, the author? So obviously this book has been acclaimed but was it ambiguous well this is it depends where you're coming from if you're in the know you're in the know but it was so popular that how did every single person that no one it can't be true that every single person that's read the book knows that george Eliot is a woman it can't right. be true if you're, you're, you're right. in the know. In i in don't think know. so either but obviously this book has been called one right so wolf called it one of the few english novels written for grown-up people good description and then the BBC (laughs) recently did a poll and Middlemarch came out as the best British novel and this was in a vote with 81 book critics from outside of the UK they were basically asked to list their top 10 British novels and Middlemarch got the top spot 42% of the time like this is a huge novel globally people think of it as as they do the best British novel I'm inclined to disagree um, which is going to make me sound really ignorant. They didn't read Adam Bede. Right. They didn't read Adam <laughs> Bede. This can't be. They didn't is what I'm saying. They didn't read yes, Adam Bede. Yes, I agree. <laughs> they, this can't be the best novel next to Adam Bede, especially the best novel by George Eliot. I don't think it is. And maybe people think that I'm I'm ignorant or I'm impatient. I am impatient. It, and it took a lot of patience to get through this book. But I just, and I, I understand why people think it's fantastic, but there's def in my opinion there's definitely better novels that show more mul- multi-dimensional female characters, stronger female characters, more interesting marriage plots, even the politics or you know the 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 political climate or the contextual climate and the way that that plays into the novel. I think that it's been done better by other people. And that's an awful thing to say. But the
1: intricacies are so good. Like, just the way she's tied everything together in such a long novel. Yeah. Like, it's super impressive. Right, so that was
2: one of the main points that everyone was commenting on, is that how she how she has four completely separate stories at the beginning, and by the end, they are completely right. interwoven. It is. It's fantastic. Her writing, I love her writing because I love her. I think she's she's a very interesting person. Her writing's very interesting. As I said, relate to her writing a lot, the way that she talks about emotion, the way that she relates... Her characters are so relatable. It, she's fantastic. But, but I still don't think it's the best British novel. I just can't, I can't support that claim. <laughs> Maybe that's the point in what you just said is
0: that um, she is representing things as they are. It's not a romantic version of mm. what we want to see or what we like to see. It's not the pretty version of things. It's actually the reality of what a slice of like would look like um, in the Victorian time of England. I mean, it's like...
1: It's right, but so is Adam Bede, and I think we're all in agreement that it's better, so... It's
0: a little bit more romantic, and that's why. It is a lot more romantic. Yes,
1: you're right. But, um, you're right. That's why, for us. Do you know what I mean? That's
2: You've why. You've got me thinking, Michelle, that maybe, um, again, this poll was international book critics, not British. They, they, they only asked ask people from outside of the uk and so maybe for people that don't understand british british history in its depth or have never experienced a book that talks about the mundane village life of rural english countryside and especially the midlands it's a bit of an odd a bit of an odd setting um maybe it is it is fantastically unique and and intricate and bizarre and entirely fresh and entirely new because you don't know you're not familiar with the intricacies of that world anyway. Whereas maybe for myself, having grown up or spent 10 years in the English countryside, living in a village that had been around since 1069 with British aristocrats <laughs> who I didn't like. Sorry uh, for listening it. or not. But maybe because I lived that life and I and I know how mundane yeah, yeah. and how boring <laughs> it is and how petty little dramas are massively kind of uh uh, what's the word I'm looking for like tiny little issues become huge dramas because it's such a small little village and there's only so many of you and everyone's very wealthy and um so maybe because I've lived that life I don't find that aspect of the book interesting in the slightest maybe that's where I'm coming from with that
0: so and where I think like, for me, like books that are set apart as this is like, this is the most important book of this time, or this is the most important book of this time, is it's really a slice or like a portrait, if you will, that's multifaceted, that can sort mm-hmm. of give us a picture of all the contextualization or all of the, you know, the historic, the political, the religious, the artistic things that are going on at the time And she period, does that very well. She does that, but set into a mundane lifestyle of this is what's really going on. And that's what makes it that because that's why you pick books to read because they show you a massive sort of picture, a 360 picture of what's going on at this particular time period. And if people are from the outside looking in, they, you're right. They would never have seen, like, this is not... Well, I don't know. This could be small town America, too. You could find a mm-hmm. slice of small town America and it would look like this just wouldn't be set in the same time period. Maybe in um, the places where Hannah lives. I don't know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the Amish is continues. Hannah lives in, uh, where do you live? Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> Illinois. In Indiana. <laughs> Indiana. Somewhere in the Midwest. It? It's fine. They're all friends <laughs> together.
1: The, an I, she lives in an ice state. They're all the
2: um, same. I? <laughs> well, I, it's funny you say that because I recently watched um, Shit's Creek. <laughs> oh my God. Which everyone's been going on about yeah. recently. And it's, it's I, I don't know if it's meant to be small town America or small town Canada. But, I mean, if you're going to do Middlemarch in the 21st century, maybe it's Shits Creek. Like, it's so funny. Someone please do, like, a 20-minute series of <laughs> Middlemarch. Please. I mean, there's love triangles in it. It's, like, small town yes. mentality, lots of little petty dramas, politics. Oh, it's actually... you got, like, a Scandal with the Doctor. It's so similar. Also, like, the inheritance thing that
1: we didn't talk about, but that's a whole other subplot of this novel. Like, the Will and the inheritance. Oh, yes, <laughs> Will's...
2: Oh, yeah. yeah, that whole thing was so confusing. No, look, I, I completely agree with you. I think I haven't read a book in a very long time that has told me so much about the time in which it was written yeah. than this book. And and in, as I said before in the last episode, in very subtle ways where I only really picked up on them later on or in retrospect, only really figured out what was going on there. I completely agree with you. I guess my um, hesitation in this assumption that it is the best British book it's just that I found it tedious at times I just think it was it was just too long I just found it a bit too long I think I'm just not patient enough yeah
0: agreed do you think I think like if so reading this the first time because you're really just trying to get the plot structure right who's especially since there are so many characters like (laughs) who's doing this who's doing this who's doing this who are these people but I think I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I think probably the second reading is when you would understand. You're like, oh, you already have sort of the the plot right. structure. You already know who's who in the mm-hmm. characterization. So then you can look as always. But I'm just saying, I think in this particular novel, it would stand out even more. Like yeah. where you're like, you reread it and then you're like, oh, now right. I understand like what she's saying. And like, think of the time period, too. I mean, people are not going to read this once. They're going to read it a couple of times and have conversation about it. It's going to be a very, it's going to be in the whatever, whatever the room is called. I don't know. Here in America, it would be the living the foyer. room where people are sitting yeah. around talking about yeah. the novel. Um, I mean, it would, you would be doing that just like a sitcom, you know, like we're, or some sort of a drama on television where we're having a conversation about, Shit's Creek, you know, like or, <laughs> uh, or or the Gilmore Girls, right? Like what's going on in this particular episode or what's going on mm-hmm. here, which is exactly what they would have been doing with yeah, Middlemarch. And, and it would have been filling their time. Yeah, so it true. wasn't a big deal that it was. And they would be so happy that they could reread it. You
2: know, like, oh, remember that. Remember that episode. Remember that yeah.
1: episode. Despite its length, I would reread it.
2: Yeah. Well, that was another thing that was in the Penguin article that I spoke about in the last episode about that in the lockdown, people were were referring back to the the doorstopper books of lit. And um, there was a lot of information about how Middlemarch has been a book that people have grown up with. Like it's, you read it once, usually when you're a teenager or in your early 20s, and then you continuously go back to it throughout your life. And I read this one interesting article where this woman was saying that she's she's read it like six times now and every time she learns something new about the characters wow, or something, she just that. sees it completely differently as you go through your own life experiences. And I and I do think that this book is, you, you do see the characters growing up and they grow up very fast. It's not like they grow up from children to adults, but they, they're all adolescents and that's the time when you're obviously changing the most and you can see that change happening so rapidly. So I do imagine as you get older and you have your own experiences you're going to relate to different parts of this book like i relate to dorothea and Rosamonds and, and will and the love triangle and the pettiness because i've been through that but maybe when i look at it again in 10 years i'll relate to the Casabon. i hope not but oh, I maybe
0: hope not. <laughs> i hope not i don't think you will. i don't think so i don't think so. okay <laughs> coming from like a, a different a, a, a different angle of life i think you look back on that and go make sure that who you marry, you understand all facets of that mm. person and you spend time seeing exactly where they're going to spend time. And then you know exactly what you want before you make that decision. Right. Um, and so I mean, not
1: really an option for them. then. Yeah. Though.
0: No, no, no. But I think that for, for us today, you know
1: until after you marry,
0: right. Very easy to look at that and go, you know, no matter if it's like two or three years or whatever, make sure you know every single thing about that yeah. person. Um, so that you're willing to make that commitment if that's what you're going to do. And that it's okay, this is my new thing, right? It's okay to take up space. It's okay to take up space. It's okay to be not just like some secretary on the side where you're the helpmate for this person. You know, you're able to go out and live your own life. And if that means you sacrifice, you know, a fortune, well, yeah. Well, that was
2: funny about Dorothea is that when someone, I can't remember who made the comment, but there was a quote in the book, where someone said that Dorothea makes a very good widow. Right, <laughs> uh, she does. No. I agreed. And I was like, oh well, yep, she does, and so would I. I'd be a great widow. I don't, I don't need you. Just give me the money, and uh, and I'll be grand. Thank you.
1: <laughs> and the books. That's why everybody
0: should read this book. Just give me the books and the cash, and then I'll find some cute guy later.
1: <laughs> yeah, just build me a library, and then you can go. Moral of the story: Widow is the best position tabby
0: that sounds very wife of bathish doesn't that sound very wife of bathish she's like "Eh, i'm gonna marry the old guy get the cash and move along
2: (laughs) (laughs) but i do think that um you are right like even though the context was different for the women at the time of reading this novel and also when it was set we can take it as a completely different lesson now and that's and maybe that is why loads of people were going back to it during the lockdown when they had the time to consider all of the well a read it and then b consider all of the things that yeah. Elliot's trying to say
0: because they're stuck inside and they can't really go anyplace either thinking oh my gosh this is my life and I'm stuck how am I gonna where am I gonna go after really like yeah. in lockdown like if you're in lockdown what am I gonna do what is it that I wish to do but I do love I'm gonna go back to to um Dr. Urban's words I do love that he said that you know after marriage <laughs> nothing really exciting ever happens it's just in the pursuit <laughs> That's,
2: kind of a that's kind of a cynical romantic view isn't it <laughs> that's so and maybe that's exactly what Elliot was right. a cynical romantic well, exactly. and realistic it's a realistic romantic right yeah relatable, relatable. Totally. it's a pragmatic you know? romantic <laughs> well so all in all then did you enjoy this book
1: I did yeah I like I said despite it's like I would read it again I didn't I I mean I would have to be in a position where I had the time to do it but yes I did enjoy it yeah. I think
2: it is a commitment. It's more of a commitment than any boy in my life anyway. No, <laughs> <So> relatable.
0: <laughs> I, I almost wish that I had, because I did read The Mill on the Floss. I think that's what it's called. I read that first, like maybe mm. 10 years ago. And then I wish I had read Middlemarch before I had read Adam Bede. You would have oh, liked okay. it better. Because I think, I think then I would have gone, wow. Like yeah. she is um, a tremendous author. Not that I don't think that anyway, but I just mean... Like, that
2: succession might have been different. And the fact that Adam Bede was her first novel. Okay, so I think the main takeaway from this whole two-episode two thing is that Middlemarch is great, but you should read Adam Bede. Yep. <laughs> Listen <laughs> to our Adam Bede episode yeah. <laughs> <adding> soon. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> right, coming soon. Yeah. Agreed. coming soon. Agreed. Okay, well, I think that's a pretty good conclusion to leave it on then. (laughs) So again, thank you guys so much for listening. I hope that you actually have read Middlemarch or this has made you want to read it or maybe not want to read it. That's entirely up to you, but everyone needs to read Adam Bede. Yes. So anyway, we'll figure out when we'll do an episode on that. We'll post that on our Instagram. So at the book bosom podcast um, and on our website, bookbosompodcast.wordpress.com. So we will be chatting to you, I believe on Christmas day with our next novel which is going to be charles dickens a christmas carol yay nice and festive it seems so crazy that we're already getting to christmas like how are we even thinking about christmas right now Um, (laughs) but anyway we will chat to you guys then Bye. bye